day today, I get a break. Um, how many of us were here uh, two years ago, right, brother, when uh, Dr. Richard Knapp was with us? A few, good. Some, you got this side really was, this side's still getting there. Well, you're in for a treat today. Uh, we we, we uh, fell in love with this guy as soon as we met him, even though he's related to Jody. Yeah. By marriage, so I guess that still makes him okay, right? <laughs> Jody knows I love her. But if you will, and let's just welcome the gift that God has sent to us today. Sir, I turn it to you, Dr. Richard Knapp. All right, can you hear me? They'll get you if you the key. Hello, testing one, two, three. I don't think he's on, Brent. Uh, yeah, yes. A little green button's on. <laughs> That's starting to come up a little bit. Well, I'm very honored to be here, and I would like uh, to start with prayer. I will say that next to the last song, practically sang my message, so. I was, I was really excited on it. Hallelujah. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We bless your holy name. We thank you for the awesome presence of God that's already here, Lord God. We thank you for the angels that are here. I ask for more, Lord God. We invite the atmosphere of heaven to be here, Lord God. We invite the cloud of witnesses, the seven spirits of God to be here. And most of all, you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way, Lord God. Amen. Well, I'm going to dive right in. Uh, this is entitled, The Power of the Resurrection, and I'll just read a couple of verse to you from the New King James first, Acts 4.33, Acts 4.33 from the New King James, ah, and we have it. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And in the NIV, it's similar. The first part of the verse is, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they, in their time, spent more time talking about the power of the resurrection than we generally do. We sort of limit it to one, one Sunday out of the year. And, but it is a part of our faith that's huge. So I'm going to start off with a little teaching. There is a principle that was understood in the Hebrew time, in the times of Scripture, that is very foreign to our Western mindset. It, it will not go with your nice logical uh, brain. However, if you don't get it, you won't understand the power of the resurrection. So I have to go there, all right? So we're going to start about in Hebrews uh, chapter 7 verses 9 and 10, but I've got to tell you the story and to give you the framework. First of all, you probably heard this on Wednesday, the writer of Hebrews is all about comparing the new covenant and the old. And in this case, it's the new priesthood, the, the priesthood of Melchizedek, of Jesus the high priest, versus the Levitical priesthood. All right, so that's what he's talking about, and he draws on a story from the Old Testament. We're going to jump in right in the middle, so i got to bring you up to speed. He's talking about Abraham, Abraham's son-in-law, son Lot, 
was taken captive. Four kings came and took his city and four or five others and everybody and everything was taken off. And Abraham finds out about it. He takes 300 men. He goes in pursuit and conquers them all. All right. Obviously, the Holy Ghost was involved and there was a lot of angels involved because 300 isn't usually enough to take four kings' armies, okay? So, but he did. And he's coming back and he has all this loot from four or five cities worth of people and stuff. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which is the older name for Jerusalem, comes and meets him, and he offers him bread and wine, which we won't go there, but there's obviously symbolism from the New Covenant there. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives a tithe of all of this loot to Melchizedek. All right, the other thing you have to understand is in the law of Moses, people paid or gave their tithes to the Levites, to the Levitical priesthood. All right, so here we're going to start in verse 9. A person might even say that Levi, this is from the Amplified, the father of the priestly tribe himself, who receives the tithes, the tenth, so the Jews gave their tithes to the Levites, Levi paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his father, forefather Abraham, when Melchizedek met him. Melchizedek met Abraham. So Levi, the father of the old covenant priesthood, is said to have paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was in Abraham, in his loins. Now, Levi was Abraham's great-grandchild. Abraham hadn't even had a kid yet, so there was no physical sense in which Levi was there, and yet in the minds of, of the writer of Hebrews and in their understanding, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessed Levi, therefore Melchizedek is greater than Levi, therefore the Melchizedek priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And for the writer of Hebrews, hallelujah, yes, glory to God. For the writer of Hebrews, that was just easy to understand. No big deal. All right? So what is that else does that have to do with us? Well, we're not going to go through this whole scripture, but Romans 5 is all about how you and I were in Adam, in the loins of Adam, and we were counted as full participants of his sin. In other words, when you were born, you had already taken of that fruit. You had already decided to rebel against God. You had already become a slave of Satan because that's what happened to Adam when he took that fruit. You already had an old nature. Adam got an old man, an old nature when he took that fruit. You already had that old nature because you were there in the garden eating that fruit. Yes. All right, you see why this doesn't fit our Western mindset, but it's Bible through and through. Yes, Hallelujah. <clears throat> now... The man, Jesus Christ, was called, is called the last Adam. He came and did what Adam never did. He lived a perfect, sinless life for 30 years, his whole life, of course, 30 years before he started his ministry, 30 years to become a we us son. We won't go there. Adam never made. Um, and by becoming fully human, he was able to be our kinsman redeemer. Now, what is a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer means somebody that sold themselves into slavery, which meant they sold all their land, all their inheritance, 
also went with them when they sold themselves into slavery. A kinsman redeemer could come and pay the price and purchase them and all their land back. So Jesus came as our kinsman redeemer and purchased us back from that slavery. Hallelujah. And he purchased the whole earth because God gave dominion of planet earth to Adam and Eve and that all went to Satan. So Jesus purchased it back. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In John 19.30, Jesus cries out, the next to the last thing he says before he gives up his spirit, he cries out, it is finished. Teleos, I believe, and it, it comes, or teleo, it comes from a root teleos, which is what they would stamp on a, on a debt, a debtor's, you know, your document that you owed this money, when it was paid off, it would stamp teleos. It is paid. It is finished. When a slave was set free, it was the same thing. It's finished. He's no longer a slave. Hallelujah. So Jesus drank the whole cup of the sins of the world, the cup of wrath poured out by the Father that we deserve. And at that very moment, people came out of the tombs in Jerusalem. The veil was rent in two, so there was already access to the Holy of Holies because the price for our sins to be forgiven had been paid. So what is the resurrection about and what are the three days about? Okay, so that's where we're going, and it's good stuff. You'll, you're going to like this. So we're going to spend a little time in John. The last uh, chapters of John is all about Jesus with his disciples talking about what's about to happen, his death, his resurrection, all of those kinds of things. Jesus' desire was to raise up many sons for God, a family. God, Father God wanted a family. That's why he made the earth to begin with. Hallelujah. Jesus was about accomplishing that for his father. In John 12, 23 and 24 from the NIV, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So once Jesus had finished paying for our sins and died, he was like the seed. Now he's placed in the ground. He's placed in the tomb. And he, he goes into labor, hallelujah, to produce the sons of God. Now we're going to explain that to you a little bit more. Uh, so right after Jesus dies, uh, while he's still hanging there on the cross, a soldier come, comes and puts a spear up in his side, pierces his heart, and out comes blood and water. And we know that means that Jesus had died, he'd been dead for a while, his blood had separated, red cells from serum, if you want. And, um, but it has another meaning, because what is... Most sure evidence that a woman is gone into labor and she's going to have a baby. She has water and blood that comes out. So it's the sign of starting labor. So Jesus went into labor. Hallelujah. Now remember, Jesus was the last Adam. Okay? So when you have to go back to the Garden of Eden, Eve was created out of a rib that came out of Adam's side. God put Adam to sleep, 
which is a type of the death of Christ. He takes a rib out of his side. He makes Eve out of it. Adam wakes up and God brings Eve to him. And and Adam says, this is it. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He was excited. Okay. (laughs) And out of his side came a full-grown woman. So she was completed. She was made to complete Adam, to be his helpmate just as we, the body of Christ, are created to complete him, to be his helpmate. Hallelujah. To be his bride. So when God took Eve out of Adam's side, it was a powerful allegory of what would happen on the cross. When the soldier ripped open Jesus' side and blood and water came out, it was the beginning of the birthing, of the labor of the birthing process. They carried Jesus' body, they put it in the tomb, and for three days, he was in travail in the spirit to give birth to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, Jesus himself talks about this before he died. It's really, really clear if, if, if you're looking for it, okay? It's in John 16, 21 and 22. He's talking to his disciples all about himself and his death, all right? And then all of a sudden he switches and he starts talking about a woman, okay? He says, a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore now you, he's talking to his disciples, have sorrow, but I will see you again. He switches back to talking about him. I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. Your joy no one will take from you. Now if you look at the little part of the thing she says for joy that a human being was born into the world that's new king james if you look in young's literal translation it says because of the joy that a man was born into the world and that word human being or man in the greek is anthropos and it means a fellow a husband a man a sir it's talking about a full grown man it's not talking about a baby okay so Jesus doesn't give birth to babies. We don't baptize babies because they're not able to be saved. Jesus gives birth to full-grown people who understand and and are able to be saved. Hallelujah. So the Adams gave birth to full-grown brides, full-grown people, whereas babies, I mean, women give birth to babies. Amen. Hallelujah. That was a freebie. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. So Jesus, this is, this is why this is important. Jesus gave birth to a whole new genealogy because all of a sudden we have a new parentage, if you will. We are born of Christ. Hallelujah. He gave birth to a whole new genealogy when he walked out of the tomb. A whole new race of men and women born of and born into Christ. Hallelujah. So we are no longer in the loins of Adam. Therefore, we're not tainted with sin. We don't have a sin nature anymore. We are no longer slaves of sin. Hallelujah. And over those who are born into Christ, the devil will never have any true claim. Glory to God. A whole new race of humanity. There's just two races, the lost and the saved, and the scripture makes it very clear. Now, I want to focus a little bit at what Christ did at his death, 
because it, it ties into all this. And what an incredible victory his resurrection was. There's been a lot of people resurrected from the dead. I mean, you know, through the ages, Jesus resurrected three. One of them was dead longer than he was. Lazarus was four days. Jesus was only three and really two and a half, if you, you know, the way we would count it. And if you look at Romans chapter 6, 23a, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Now we know the free gift of God is eternal life. But I want to focus right now on the wages of sin. See, Jesus was stained with sin way more than anybody else, billions of times more than anybody else ever would be. He took the cup with the distillation of all the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. All the sin natures of humanity, past, present, and future. It says he became sin. So death had a grip on him like nobody else. We've got you. We'll never let you go. Hallelujah. So he was, he was swallowed up by death more powerfully and deeper than any other man ever would be or could be. So you can imagine the demons starting to scream, say, help, he's getting away. This is impossible. And you can imagine calling all the demons from hell, all the principalities from second heaven to come and keep him down, but they could not. He overcame them all. Hallelujah. So it is the greatest resurrection that ever could be. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So when Jesus rose from the dead, did he still have all of that sin on him? And the answer is, of course, no. Hallelujah. He left them behind at the bottom of hell. Hallelujah. Where they still are to this day. Glory to God. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 45. This just kind of spells it out. This is all scripture, guys. It's it's all scripture, but have have to have it explained. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And then in verse 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. That's all those who are not saved yet. They are of the earth. As is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Folks, that's who you are. You are of heaven. Hallelujah. That's us. Because his resurrection gave us a new identity, a new heritage. Hallelujah. So we are now in Christ, in the loins of Christ, instead of in the loins of Adam. In Christ, we have a new citizenship. We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We are in the loins of Christ, not in the loins of Adam anymore. Jesus. So as we were in Adam when he sinned, now as new creatures, we are in Christ and we have risen with Christ, a new generation. All right, we'll do a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It just spells it out so clearly in the word. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're born again, you are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
I mean, how could you be more clear than that? You're, you're a brand new, brand new race, brand new creation. Hallelujah. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Glory to God. And 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 spells it out a little bit more, more details. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Hallelujah. Mm -mm 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 -mm. that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Who, <coughs> who had, once you were those who had not obtained mercy, now you have obtained mercy. Hallelujah. Now we're going to look a little bit at Ephesians. Just kind of one step further. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So why does it say blessed us in heavenly places? Because after all, we kind of live down here, you know. That's how we think. That's how I usually think. All right. Well, if you, we are in Christ, where is he? He's in heavenly places, so we've, we're there too, and when we get blessed there, hallelujah. Now, do I 100% understand that? No, but I'm working on it, hallelujah. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, hallelujah. So it's, it's not just one time in scripture, it's all, it's all through. There is an old song. It says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the answer is that, yes, I was there. I was in him. I was in him. Hallelujah. So now I am risen with Christ. You are risen with Christ. Because he walked out of that tomb on resurrection morning, I walked out with him. You walked out with him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, in order to walk this out, for it to be a reality in your life, there is a condition. Okay, not a surprising thing. There's a positional part of this, and there's also an active walking out of it that we have to walk, learn, and, and become. We're going to look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Romans 6, 3 through 5. I'm reading the New King James. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Baptism is an awesome picture of what I'm talking about. The picture is you start off the unsaved person with an old nature. You are taken down into the depths of the water, into the death of Christ, because you're being buried with him and you leave your old man, your sins, your old nature there, and you come up a new man with a new nature in Christ. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful picture. I think there's reality to it. I think P 
people that get water baptized have an easier time overcoming their old man and walking in their new nature personally. That's why I don't have a problem with somebody getting rebaptized, especially if they fell into sin and they went back to old ways. I think it's a smart thing to do personally. But I can't preach that as doctrine. That's just my personal opinion. Okay. Verse 5, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now there's two parts to this. There's a positional part, which, which is just we died with him, we, we took him as our Lord and Savior, and now we have a new man, and we, we are in the likeness of his resurrection. But there's also something we have to walk out, all right? So the likeness of his death, it says likeness because we don't die, we're not you know, we're not in fully in heaven yet. We live down here. We have a body, which is very important, okay? So the likeness of his death means you die to yourself. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. He died to his flesh. He died to his natural desires. And he lived for what the Spirit of God wanted him and told him to do. And we have to do the same thing. If we want to walk in the power of his resurrection, we have to do that. The cool thing is, when it says, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, in the likeness is not in there. It says, certainly we shall be his resurrection. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And that shall be, now this is, I've got from other people who are Greek scholars way beyond me. It's called a conditional future. It makes the future immediately available when the conditions are met. So when you choose to die to your flesh and follow the Holy Spirit and obey Him, you are immediately in His resurrection. It says, certainly you will be His resurrection. So when you, yes, hallelujah, and all of us have stories. All of us remember there's times when we had to die to ourselves, and it was hard, and we wanted that thing, and we, we wrestled, and we chose to obey God, and then God moved on our behalf. God brought good out of it. Hallelujah. The picture is this. When you choose to die to yourself, to die to your flesh and live to him, you become the glove that he puts his hand in and he does what he wants to do. And he brings good and he brings glory. Hallelujah. And which of us don't want to bring glory to God? Hallelujah. It's our highest calling. Glory. There is a VeggieTale movie called The Easter Carol. I have kids. <clears throat> I still have a 36-year-old who's a three-and-a-half-year-old, so she still likes Veggie Tale movies. The Easter Carol comes from uh, the Christmas Carol about Ebenezer Scrooge, and he had three spirits visit him, Christmas, past, present, and future. And it's instead about Easter. It's told in Veggie Tale style. And in this movie, Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, has a couple of visions before Easter morning. And there's this little tiny angel that takes him off. And he, when he sees Easter future, um, he sees an orphan that he recognizes. And the orphan used to live in the orphanage, but the orphan is now homeless because the orphanage closed, because people weren't giving to it anymore. 
I have to back up, sorry, that his plan was to build this huge complex and in order to do it, he was gonna tear down the church. So there wasn't gonna be a physical church anymore. Now we know we're not the building, but nevertheless, that was the symbolism and that was what was going on. <clears throat> he sees a grave stone of the minister's small son who was sick and he died. The church closed, he lost his hope. And then he sees a thief come. The orphan is selling pencils to try and support herself. And a thief comes and takes her pencils. And there's a cop right there. And the cop doesn't do anything. He lost his hope. He lost his courage. He wasn't brave anymore. So Ebenezer is finally willing to listen. And the little angel sings him through the story of Jesus. They use the animated version of the stained glass windows on the church. It's kind of cool, actually. He sees Jesus doing and teaching good. He sees him healing the sick, raising the dead. Finally, he sees him die on the cross for us. And after the crucifixion, the angel stops. And Ebenezer is crushed. He keeps saying, is that all? Is that all? Does it end there? Does it really end there? So finally, the angel uncovers the last window that was going to be uncovered on Easter morning, except he was going to destroy the church before Easter morning happened. So it wouldn't, it, he would have destroyed the, the picture that he was getting to see, and he sees Jesus raising from the dead. And so the angel <coughs> tells him that what he missed, the secret of Easter, is that because Jesus rose, we can have hope. The people give to the orphanage because of the hope they carry in their hearts. Come on. Hallelujah. The minister's son can live and overcome sickness because of the hope of Jesus that lives in his heart. The cop is, has courage to fight for righteousness, to fight for what's right because hope lives in his heart. Take away the hope and the courage is all gone. Our courage comes from our hope in Christ. So Scrooge was changed, and so was I. I had tears running down my face, still almost do. Because Jesus lives, because he overcame death, hell, and the grave for us, we can always have hope, however bad things look. How could you have something in your life worse than the Son of God being crucified naked on the cross, the one who was supposed to save Israel and save the world dying? It can't get any worse than that. And God came and turned it around to be the most powerful thing that ever happened. Hallelujah. And he will do the same for you. That's why we can have hope. Now, is it easy? No. We have to walk by faith, and it's hard. But there is something to cling to that we can receive hope from. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And we know the greatest is love, but hope is still important. Hope is something that goes on forever and ever. And then Psalm 31, 24, Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So hope in the Lord gives you courage, and it strengthens your heart. Hallelujah. We need it so badly. All right, we're going to end with some scriptures from Luke 24, after Jesus is now raised from the dead. 
Luke 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, and the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Hallelujah. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Now the world still has not believed that Jesus lives. They compare the living one with other religions' dead false prophets. Side by side. Hallelujah. Too often, however, we act as practical atheists, as though Jesus were among the dead. If an atheist gets into financial trouble, he may go get financial counseling, he may read some books, he may look at ways to cut expenses, he may look to get a better job, some way to make more money. Nothing wrong with any of those things at all. When we have problems to overcome, if we don't turn to God first, but instead we look to all the things the world has to offer, we are acting as though the living one were among the dead. He is our God, he is among the living, and he is our Savior, the one who saves us in our troubles. Hallelujah. Those who believe seek him first. And then, as he directs, you get wisdom and help from other places. There's nothing wrong with the other places. The question is, are you serving the living one? Hallelujah. The Savior. And then, if you would turn, go down to verse 13 of Luke 24. We're going to kind of skip through some of this. Now, behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was when they conversed, while they conversed in reason, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now we're going to skip over for sake of time to verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up that very hour, and it was almost dark, y'all, and we returned to Jerusalem, all seven miles, and found the eleven who were with them gathered together, and those who were with them. We serve a living God, and when he speaks to us, our hearts burn within us. Even when his servants speak his word to us, our hearts burn within us because we have a living God and he speaks to us. And it's awesome. Hallelujah. So I'd like to close with a recap of the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That kind of what we've we've covered here. Not that there aren't a whole bunch more, okay? This is not exhaustive by any means. All right. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection... We can have hope in every situation, however dark. 
Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, our old nature that hated God was rebellious and desired evil. The old man is dead. And together with all of our sins has been nailed to the tree and then left behind at the bottom of hell. Jesus died with it, came out of the grave without it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have a new nature, the nature of Christ. We love God, we love what's right, we love righteousness, and we love people. If you don't have those three, you need to go talk to somebody because you're probably not born again. You have Jesus, you have a new nature in you, you will love people. You may not love everyone, but your tendency will be to love people. You're, you will love God and you, you'll like what you want, what's right. You, you won't be comfortable in sin and in darkness. It will bother you, it will hurt you. Because you're born again, you have his nature in you. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are in Christ. Now and for eternity, we have risen with him. We are seated with him in heavenly places far above, which means having authority over every power of darkness. Hallelujah. And we do. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are a new race. We are those who are like Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm. Oh, God. Oh, God. We are those who are like Jesus. Mm. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have a new citizenship, a new passport. We are citizens members of the body of Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we are citizens of heaven. The old person you were is dead. No legal claims against that person who died are valid against you anymore. Hallelujah. Amen. So I am done.